Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Eaton Asphalt Podcast. And like a soccer ball going to the back of an English net, we're ready to roll. Ian, we had an awesome race weekend. Uh, what were your initial thoughts? We had everything. I mean, first lap drama. We had Lewis Hamilton, the Matador, with how many bulls he's taken out. We had the hottest race in Silverstone in over 10 years. We had just everything. Lots of talking points. Can't wait to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of on-the-track discussions, lots of off-the-track discussions as well. So we're really excited to get into it. Uh, just to look at what we will be discussing this episode, we have our Good, Bad, and Ugly that we're going to start off with, then go into the weekend Recap, then our Race Predictions Recap, and topping it off with some recent headlines. So starting it off right away, we have our Good, Bad, and Ugly. Ian, do you want to start off with your Good, your Bad, and then your Ugly? I do. So for my Good... I had the F1 letting us hear the messages of the teams to race control, so kind of that back and forth over the radio. It was a nice little fourth wall being broken down, and you got to see another aspect and dimension of the sport that I think it would be tough to see if you weren't actually on the team. And Even if you're on the team, you would have to be pretty high up to be talking to race control, so it was an awesome aspect that I really enjoyed. This would be also cool to see in other sports, too. Like, I want to hear what football coaches are saying to referees and like what soccer coaches are yelling at you know the fourth officials but yeah dude give me f1 tv plus plus the ultra premium package where you just get to tune in and hear the race control radio all day because i'm sure there would be some super colorful language and a lot of nice polite english insults thrown around um that would be my good my bad is Mick Schumer losing out to Nikita Mazepin on merit, which is just kind of tough. Mick Schumacher beating Mazepin so many times on merit, I think just made us think that Mazepin is a horrible driver, and so losing out to him isn't the best look. It's the first time it's happened, so we'll cut him a little bit of slack, but didn't think that was a great look, so that goes in my bad column. And finally, I'm going to make my ugly the pit stops that we saw this weekend. So Lando, Carlos, and Sergio all had pretty poor performing pit stops. The worst part about all of that, though, was that Carlos and Lando definitely had an opportunity to make up some points that they normally wouldn't be able to make up uh, with both of the Red Bulls placing lower than they did. So two extra spots open for the taking. I'm sure Lando wanted to get into that third position and uh, obviously Carlos wanted something better than sixth, not a horrible result, but definitely the pit stop slowed him down and gave him that extra little, uh, kick down. So yeah, I would say that's, uh, that's my good, bad and ugly thoughts, feedback. Uh, no, I could not have agreed more. I thought that, yeah, it was real tough to see Schumacher actually just losing, you know, nothing really actually happening outside of just Mazepin actually having a better pace. Um, but yeah, I think overall, I, I think you kind of nailed it on, on these good, bad, and uglies. Moving on to my good, bad, and uglies, I thought the good was the sprint qualifying race was, I thought, an absolute success. I think it was great having a meaningful race for three straight days. Uh, not only that, but I think each race had really kind of different aspects that key takeaways that I kind of noticed while I was going through talking important talking points that I thought kind of sprouted from the race. For instance... For the first qualifying, Lewis edging out Max and then George getting another top 10 finish. I think those were something that people really hadn't uh, were a little bit surprised about. It was great seeing Lewis do that in his home track. And moving on to the sprint, we had Max taking back the lead and winning the sprint qualifying. George and Carlos had a little tango, tango themselves that did unfortunately punish 
George uh, for the starting grid on Sunday. And then Perez starting in the back of the grid, as well as Alpine finishing 7 and 10. So a couple of different things from there. And then there's rates itself that we'll obviously get into. But I think the biggest thing, obviously, to talk about was Max and Lewis's first bump in lap one. Uh, and then Lewis coming out and, and being able to make up that 10-second penalty. So... Pretty much a lot of good from that. The bad was crashes above 50G impacts. Uh, as everyone knows, yeah, uh, right. Uh, as everyone knows, Max's crash was pretty serious. Uh, you saw them pulling out what was left of the car from the barriers, and there was really hardly any that was intact. I feel like, you know, the bare bones was kind of hanging around, but, I mean, there were scraps everywhere. And as I said, his impact was measured at around 51Gs. To put that into perspective, perspective some of the sharpest most intense corners in formula one will get around six g's you'll always hear drivers to kind of talk about how they can kind of feel sometimes their stomach intestines kind of sliding around uh the impact that you have on your neck so i mean just to think if that's six g's to have 51 g's in that type of force super super fortunate that max was able to leave with minor injuries but i can only imagine kind of how black and blue his body is today how sore he is i mean that's got to just be one hell of a crash and you just smacking into the side of the car so that crash actually did get me thinking about some of the craziest crashes out there so i started looking up some of the highest g-force crash someone has survived from i didn't really want to see people crashing to their death uh, and i think that's kind of easy to do i just the faster the crash the the worse it is plane crashes would be up there so what i found was in 2007 there was an indy car crash with the highest G-force ever, Kenny Brock got in a car crash with 214 Gs. His car caught air about 220 miles an hour. His car then went airborne and smashed straight into this massive steel pole in the catch fence. And I'm going to send you this video, Ian. Dude, it is traumatizing. His Before the car crashes back on the ground, I'm not kidding you. I think it flipped or like turned side over side seven different times before it actually landed it, i was like how he's for sure dead i was like this is actually not right this is 214 g's of someone dying um it was it was pretty intense uh i just sent you over that link we're gonna have some uh bad radio over here but i mean it was it was shocking yeah i'll go i'll go live reaction oh we got multiple angles on this thing too oh my god Get it's right <laughs> It just rips into. It looks like uh, his car went through a paper shredder. Yeah, it just like it was just terrifying. It broke in half. It broke the car in half. That's like it was like Grosjean, except like Jesus. <laughs> the stewards got to. Someone's got to clean that up. Yeah, like the other car was like, oh, that's really bad too. But they're like, they definitely were like this other guy. Like he's not. He's not coming back. Could have been a lot worse. Thank God that it wasn't. But, yeah, that was, you know, if you are listening, check out, yeah, Kenny Brock, uh, 2007 IndyCar crash. And, uh, yeah, let us know what you think. It is, it's gruesome. Uh, but, you know, he lives. So, you know, you can watch it without feeling like a complete piece of shit laughing or like going crazy over someone dying. Moving on to my ugly is fans. So I think for this, this just being such a built-up race, this is always one of the biggest, most favorite tracks for both the drivers and fans alike. And just, you know, about the craziness of the race itself, there was so much going on, so much that we could have talked about. And I think a lot of that was kind of overlooked for seeing so much things that come out about so many different areas with the racist remarks towards Lewis, uh, the cheering with 
Max crashing. You know, we've had a bit of fan ugliness when it comes to sporting events in England these last couple of weeks. Uh, so that this was just another tough, tough image to see and, and you know, something that you never want to see, you know, people going through. Uh, there was a lot of people, you know, bringing this up and, and saying and kind of supporting how awful this was and this shouldn't be a thing. But, you know, it's, it's bad enough when the people are having to come out and, and say these things. So uh, that was a, a, a pretty big, ugly part of the, the weekend. But we'll definitely bring, try to talk more about the, the race itself and some of the implications that have come around the, the race. Uh, so that does it for my good, bad, and ugly. Uh, moving, on to, moving on to the weekend recap itself. As I had mentioned a little bit with qualifying itself, the sprint qualifying did exactly what I think a lot of people were looking for. It added a little bit more chaos. It did just enough to make the race indicative of what it typically would look like for the most part. It's not like we're seeing, you know, this reverse grid or something where it's just like it it doesn't make sense. You know, a lot of people that shouldn't be up in the, the starting points of the grid are, are being done. But, you know, there's a couple guys here and there that did have their, their struggles this weekend that uh, it, it just changed it up enough. It, it kept it fun, kept it really entertaining. George uh, was showing enough pace to crack the top 10 for a second week. Unfortunately, during the sprint qualifying, as we had mentioned, that uh, he had a little tangle with Carlos Sainz and had to start in 12 and was not able to score the points this weekend. I would love to see sprint qualifying continue to be a part of the sport more. I know we have a couple more moving on uh, throughout the, the rest of the season. And I think, you know, this was a great track to do it at. There's so many good passing opportunities and, you know, trying to find races like that where, you know, they have the uh, the passing opportunities. I think, you know, if you're at a Monaco or something, you know, some of these other uh, city tracks that are very difficult, I don't think you're going to get as much out of that. So maybe even kind of picking and choosing the, the right tracks to do, I think would be awesome. Uh, but yeah, I think that kind of does it, you know, quickly going over both qualifyings. Ian, did you have any uh, anything else to add? No, I agree with you that the sprint qualifying playing more of a part in the season would be cool. Um, but I, my stipulation would just be let's let's not let's not make it so that it's a common thing that we come to expect, like every other race or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, the the good tracks where it would be interesting with good passing opportunities, sure. Um, and I think both sides here that the people who loved the idea and the people who hated the idea. Both got a pretty solid result out of it. They saw, you know, yeah, Checo started P20 and that, that, you know, lit up the people who were looking for excitement out of this, but nothing, like you said, was super shook up. So I think overall, like, they couldn't have really asked for a better first, you know, first time doing the spring qualifying. But, yeah, on board with that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into the teams starting at the fifth place in the constructors. By the way, that middle pack is really starting to heat up. Uh, we have the different tiers. Red Bull and Mercedes are within four points. McLaren and Ferrari are within 15 points. And then Alpha Tauri, Aston Martin, and Alpine are all within nine points of each other. So there's three obvious tiers, and then everybody else, of course. Um, but that middle tier, right now as it stands, Alpha Tauri coming in in fifth place. We had Pierre Gasly finish P11 and Yuki P10. Yuki beating Pierre for the first time in a race that Pierre actually finishes the race when he gets to the checkered flag. Um, starting 16, so he was pretty strong in the race in general just to move up those spots. Obviously, we had some attrition, but he was making some pretty good overtakes. And overall, for me being, I think I almost have like one foot in the camp of being a Yuki hater, I'm not proud to say. Um, I, I think he, he definitely did impress, and hopefully he can kind of get this momentum going and join the rest of those guys that are 
seen as the young talent in F1 that are there to stay and not just another Red Bull uh, Red Bull AlphaTauri driver that has a, a short stint and then doesn't cut it early. Yeah, still haven't, you know, figured out with Pierre. I just feel like he'll have one strong race one one weekend or one day and then kind of be a no-show or something. But, yeah, I feel like his inconsistency is, is a little concerning as well. Uh, I think we've kind of seen that this entire year. Just, you know, he, he definitely shows that he does have the talent to do to do well. But um, I, I think this even adds more on to, you know, Red Bull making the right move to, to move on from that. Uh, I, I know a lot of people had his defense and wanted him to, to make that that move back after a couple of good finishes last year. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is confusing to see. Um, how he's been doing this entire year. Moving on to Ferrari. So we have Carlos finishing P6 and Charles finishing a close P2. Charles had just a fantastic pace all race. It looked like, you know, he started pulling away after the, the crash with Max and Lewis. He really started to kind of pull away and pull away from uh, another Mercedes car out of Valtteri. You know, I was kind of expecting at some point, you know, you had Lewis going to have to to take his 10-second penalty but it kind of was thinking in the back of my head that potentially Mercedes catches up to, to Ferrari as we've seen these last couple of years. And then maybe what we've seen with the Mercedes and Max where, you know, they group around him and they're able to strategize around him. But, but Valtteri was never able to actually, you know, catch up to his pace. And for a little bit, even, you know, when Lewis had his 10-second uh, penalty, I, I thought from the back of my head that, uh, you know, he was maybe going to be able to run away with it. And then you just see the slow death. Uh, you know, it was kind of death by a thousand cuts that every single lap Lewis was cutting out the gap inch by inch. And then only to show with about two laps left in the race, Lewis makes the pass and Charles finishes in P2. But overall, I think it was an awesome race. It's really cool to see that Ferrari is, is starting to get some pace where they're they're being able to compete with some of the, the other two constructors in the top. So that was great. I think Sainz had a really strong race. He unfortunately had a very, very bad pit stop that I was about... 14, 16 seconds or so. Ferrari was very lucky in the fact that Sainz was coming in the lap before Charles did. I think it was reversed. You know, this would have been detrimental for Charles and, you know, maybe not even pulling out for P2. Uh, so, you know, in hindsight, was it, you know, unfortunate? Yes. But uh, I think, you know, if they were going to mess up, they messed up on the right guy. Let's talk about somebody else that didn't have a great pit stop. Lando Norris, P4, and Danny Ricardo P5, rounding out a 4-5 finish for McLaren. So, yeah, Lando, you know, broke a McLaren record for the most consecutive finishes in the points with 15. And then, yeah, you know, we heard Alex Albon even talking on the on the post-show. Like, he thought it was just a coincidence. People were saying, was it, you know, was it the weather that caused the bad pit stops for everybody? Was it... You know, the track, any kind of new regulations or anything, but it seemed to be just like everybody wasn't necessarily all the way on top of their game. Sucks for Lando. He thought that he could have gone onto that podium in an interview with Will Buxton. Will Buxton said, hey, was that bad pit stop the reason that you didn't end up on the podium? And he kind of hesitated and was like, yes, you know, it, it was. <laughs> so it's got to be super frustrating for him. And then on the flip side, I think Danny can be really happy just getting his first uh, top five finish. His first race at Silverstone last year in 2020 was his best so far of the season for Renault up to that point. And since then, five out of the nine races, he finished in the top six for Renault. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of like a, a bullshit stat, but who knows? Hopefully this race is going to end up making him uh, kind of turn around. Results breed confidence, which breed more results. So we'll see with him. Um, but yeah, I think overall McLaren had left a little bit on the track. 
just in terms of you know maximizing their full potential, especially with two Red Bulls not uh, not passing them up. But at the same time, I don't think you can really fault them for uh, for getting the points that they did and keeping Ferrari behind and keeping this fight close. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, I really do enjoy this McLaren-Ferrari battle. I think we had our, our disagreements on how Ferrari was going to kind of play out for the rest of the year. It is good to see that they are you know, keeping pace with that and they're not continuing to kind of suffer and, and kind of fall down that list. So uh, yeah, I really like this 3-4 battle. But moving on to the two battle in a close second, we have Mercedes with Valtteri finishing P3, Lewis finishing P1. I just want to ask right off the bat, what are your thoughts on the first lap crash? I mean, if you're a steward, if you're a steward in that box, what is like, what's your, hey, this is, this is what happened. Yeah, I'm going to answer freely because the good part about your question is nobody in the F1 community can agree really. Um, And so there's no wrong answer. To me, it looked like Lewis Hamilton just did not give Max enough room. Um, and especially they talked about him not hitting the apex and that playing a factor and him getting like kind of a bad release angle or like release point when he did hit the throttle. If you look back on history, he's done this to Alex Albon. He's done this to Nico Rosberg. He's done this to Valtteri Bottas. He's done this to Max Verstappen. So it's like he doesn't have a great history with this. Um, yeah, Max seemed like he was driving super aggressively, but... It's just at the end of the day. I mean, if I were a steward, I think uh, I think that would have been would have been my my judgment. Like, give him a ten second penalty. Yeah, it's bullshit because he's probably just going to end up winning anyway if Max isn't in there. But at least you did something, and that ten second penalty it was good that we had some indication of whose fault it actually was, or at least like what they thought about it. So, like, I don't know. It, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you agree with me, or would you take a, an opposing viewpoint on that? So many people have been looking at this frame by frame, and I've seen. You know, the people on the, the Red Bull side saying, like, oh, look at this frame, look at this little section here. Clearly, Lewis is at fault. You go to a Mercedes fan, someone supporting Lewis, you're going to see a frame-by-frame frame of a little different area. A couple, It was just so back and forth and, and how close they were during that time that, I, I mean, I would really chalk it up as almost as 50-50. It, it really looked like Lewis... And I, I, I see both sides where it's, I think they were both driving aggressively. I think they were both at fault at some, some extent. I think Lewis, as I said, you know, uh, kind of stuck out his his front wheel a little bit into Max, maybe. But also, I think Max was driving dangerously in the fact that like he could have gone a little bit more wide out, out there as well. I think they that they both felt that they want didn't want to give that that position away and that they were going to hopefully expect the other one to kind of back off, and neither did. And then that I think resulted in that crash. So I, I would have marked it down as just looking at the the footage itself it's a racing incident and i understand the fact of giving him the 10 second penalty i was kind of surprised about michael massey coming out saying you know we we really try to not make decisions based off outcomes of the crashes but the crash themselves i would have given him if anything that 10 second penalty because of the outcome of the crash and you know red bull really doesn't get much out of this maybe you know this 10 second penalty can bring lewis down to a p2 and kind of retained a couple of those points that they have ahead of Mercedes. But uh, yeah, I, I thought it was so close down the middle. You can kind of like twist hairs on, you know, who was in the right, who was in the wrong for both. Yeah, 100%. An interesting tweet I saw was Marcus Erickson, who's an old F1 driver who's racing an IndyCar right now. And it made me have a different perspective on this that um, he said it was Lewis's fault. He was like 51 to 49, Lewis's fault. Um, but he, I think Lewis is old enough and mature enough to know that he has to play the long game with someone like Max, who has 
as good of a driver as Max is. And so he was like, he was just kind of, show, he was like, I could see it as Lewis showing Max that, yeah, Max can keep driving aggressively, but Lewis isn't going to be like everybody else and just kind of give him that space and back down all the time. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting take on that, especially from a former F1 driver mm-hmm. that, you know, it is a marathon. It's not just one, uh, you know, one race, but yeah, he's he's got to know, I mean, Max has uh, put his elbows out a couple times and kind of bumped Lewis off. Um, I think definitely w- at least once I can remember in Portimao. But, yeah, if you keep kind of like fostering that, uh, not really giving him any kind of punishment, then it makes sense that in the long term, like that wouldn't be the right move for Lewis. So, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. You know, even hearing Charles in front of him, like they interviewed Charles after, and he's just like, it seemed like a racing incident to me. Like and someone being right behind there in person as well, just not being able to see much. Uh, from that as well uh so yeah yeah i I could not agree more um i think you know it being lewis's home track uh, a lot to prove a full house of fans that he wants to to show out for maybe he was just being like you know if i and i i I really truly believe that if lewis were to to let up right there and max let max out in front max is just gonna uh, to run away with it that we've seen these last three three four weeks so I think it might might have been a little desperation just being like, hey, I can't let this up in lap one already, and I, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep up with this pace throughout the rest of the race. Right. Uh, and then outside of that, I think Bottas did what basically Bottas has done this entire season. He had a decent finish, P3, so podium that's great for Mercedes getting closer back to Red Bull. But he just didn't even have the pace to keep up with these top two guys. This race, we haven't seen him really keep up the pace well with it, the top two guys pretty much this entire season. So, uh, you know, he was, he was, yeah, starting to, you know, those guys were starting to pull away from him and you just see him, you know, he's, he's the best of the rest of the pack. It seems like that we've seen most of this year. And finally moving on to Red Bull in P1 of the Constructors Championship. Max obviously with the DNF going out in the first lap of the race and Checo ending up P16. I think when I first saw P16, I was like, wait, it was that bad. But of course, Uh, They just pitted him with three laps to go just to kind of steal that one point away from Lewis so that he wouldn't get the fastest lap. Um, It's, you know, it's... They've shown Mercedes and Red Bull that this is going to be a super close fight, right? So, yeah, those one that one point is going to end up mattering, even though Checo didn't even get it because he wasn't in the top 10. Checo was the only racer starting on the hards as an alternate strategy for the race. I thought that was a weird move, but obviously if you're in the pit lane when everybody else is on the starting grid, you probably want to switch some things up because it's not going to be a good day for you. Um, and all around, tough weekend for Sergio he can definitely point to the sprint race as uh, what may have toppled, you know, kind of toppled his chances of getting a good result. But yeah, starting at the uh, at the back of the grid didn't necessarily look as good as Max had all weekend up until the wreck, of course. But I mean, overall, what's what's not to like about an awesome one two battle and an awesome three four battle, and then really like a, a pretty entertaining four five six as well. So. Yeah, I think everybody can kind of be happy with with what we got here um, and just with all the talking points from that last race. So I think that'll do it for our weekend recap. Uh, Moving on to our race predictions recap. I'm excited to get to those results. But before we do, this part of the podcast is brought to you by Lewis Hamilton Inspired Fidget Spinners. As Lewis will tell you, making things spin is great, whether it's alcohol to make your head spin calming and relaxing fidget spinners to make your anxiety calm down, or even spinning out your championship rival. One order of Lewis Hamilton's fidget spinners is sure to make you more relaxed, 
focus, and if you're lucky, make it so that 90% of all Formula One fans absolutely hate you. Lewis Hamilton Fidget Spinners. When in doubt, spin them out. Thank you to our sponsor. I'm sure he is really enjoying the ad that's come out here as well as this past weekend. Uh, but yeah, so moving straight along to our race predictions. Uh, just to keep everyone up to date, I believe that Ian was up 10 to 9 on yours truly uh, last week. And so, yeah, just going along this list, we had who do we think will crash our DNF? I went with Pierre Gasly. I went with George Russell. Yeah, so, oh for 2 there. Winner, I went with uh, and guess with Valtteri. And I went with Lewis, thinking I was going to just take one for the team. Yeah, yeah, what a workout. Yeah, that was great. Uh, great to see. <laughs> and last place, uh, I also got right to Mick Schumacher, which I also thought was off the wall. I was kind of giving, yeah. you, the, uh, giving you the room. With I know, dude, with going with uh, Nikita. And, yeah, did not play out. Bite bitcha. Driver of the day, I picked Lewis, who I actually, I think he was second place, which was he shocking was. to which me. He, yeah, right. I'm, I'm surprised about the I can understand just because of his race in general why he was, but I, I would assume that a lot of fans coming in would not have been putting it on Lewis. So, um, yeah, that was surprising. Thank goodness it wasn't. But I, I went with Max, and uh, he had a quick exit. Yep, didn't really work out there. Um, douche of the day brought to you by Summer's Eve. I went with Lance Stroll, who actually seemed to have a pretty good race and stay out of everybody's yep. way who he needed to. Yeah, and I had Yuki, who also had a pretty strong race, and uh, yeah, didn't have, run into much troubles. We need to make George Russell douche of the day next time. That way, he gets a little bit of the uh, the anti. Oh yeah, true. Very yeah, very true. Yeah, seems like yeah. <laughs> no one has been. We've been <laughs> off on this douche of the day. I don't for know if we've hit one. Honestly, <laughs> it's been it's it's been a number of episodes. Absolutely, slim, slim yeah. pickets. <laughs> uh, fastest pit stop minus Red Bull who actually had a pretty shitty pit stop. Um, I picked a Mercedes. And I went with Alpine, and the outcome was Williams. So neither of us got any there in our last but not least, our wildcard prediction. I did go with George Russell finally scoring a point, and it looked like from Friday and Saturday that I had a great feeling that that was going to turn out. And unfortunately, yeah, just a three-grid penalty for uh, his bump in with Carlos and just could not recover from that. Yeah, and I put Max not uh, finishing on the podium, but I did give the caveat that he had to finish the race, so that'll be a no for so me So close, well. yeah. So yeah. close, but I didn't, yeah, Max not finishing the race, you know, I thought a wild card prediction is him finishing and getting to the checkered flag, but not, you know, that's like a wild card, not on the podium. Yeah. Bit, yeah, right, right. I'm a team player. Yeah, well, I mean, you did come out this week, so uh, I got a big goose egg, and Ian got two, so bringing up that distance and score from in 12 to me nine. So yeah, got a, a big week next week to bounce back from that. And then moving on to our last segment, we have recent headlines. But before we get into that, we have another ad. This part of the podcast is brought to you by Mossy's Divorce Attorneys. Michael Mossy has been the world's best divorce lawyer since 2019 and is accustomed to dealing with any type of sticky situations. Have you ever been bumped into someone while walking? Fell into a bush, smacked your head. Did you smack your head so hard that it was at the force of getting run over by a herd of elephants? Did it feel like the person next to you stuck out their leg on purpose? If you said yes to one or all of these questions, then Massey is here to help. We've won settlements from $500,000 to the British Grand Prix trophy. 
Whether it be an old lover or a heated foe, Mossy's divorce attorneys will be there once the dust settles. Feel free to give us a call, hit our radio line, or even send us an email. We will answer everything within the same day, except on Sundays. We appreciate the sponsorship from Michael Massey Divorce Lawyers. Hit him on email every day except Sunday. And moving on to our last sector. First one is a very fun one. Uh, I feel like we've been kind of getting a little down on some recent actions this weekend, but uh, some positive stuff. Sebastian Vettel actually stuck around the track to help pick up trash in Silverstone after the race. There was videos of him just grabbing huge piles of trash and uh, bringing it into recycling to the trash bins. I feel like this entire year, and I don't know, it's just who he has always been as a racer, but he has, I feel like, been interacting with fans so much, uh, whether it be on, like, Instagram Live. Uh, I think he has a TikTok now, apparently. But, yeah, super interactive, super, super outgoing and nice. And just to see him kind of do some some really, you know, go out of your way to, to help uh, people. You, I mean, you really never see this in anyone in professional sports really kind of doing these kind of things. So I, I think, yeah, it's been my, my look on Sebastian over this year has really, you know, skyrocketed. I, you know, it's great to see him and, um, and kind of going out of his way and, and doing these acts of kindness. I, I totally agree. I think it's nice to have that. And for all the drama and all the excitement that we had, it was nice to end with a wholesome, you know, little video of him picking up the trash and hanging out with people, you know, responding when they would, when fans would say something like, hey, like, is a janitor in your future? He was like yeah. nodding and smiling. Like, it was, it was just kind of cool to see that. And finally, on an uplifting note to end out the podcast, uh, Formula One did announce that some scholarships, apprentices, and intern placements for underrepresented groups were going to start being a focus within the sport. This is just awesome to see. And whether or not you thought that it was Lewis Hamilton's fault for crashing out Max Verstappen this past weekend, you do got to give it to him that this is probably uh, not going to be a thing if he wasn't there to kind of push the different social issues, the different equality issues that do kind of have like an underlying importance overall in in this whole thing. Um, So yeah, definitely hats off to uh, Formula One for acting on this and hats off to Lewis for probably being a big catalyst as far as this is concerned. And that'll do it for this episode of the Eaton Asphalt Podcast. We appreciate everybody for listening to this point. We will see you next episode for a driver spotlight and a story of some sort about the F1 world gearing up for the following weekend in Budapest at the Hungaro Ring for the Hungry Grand Prix. So until then, thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. All right, see you, asshole. See you, assholes.